the incomparable. Number 286. February 2016. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell. We are going to talk about something a little different for us. This is in the realm of musical theater. I know. I know. Who, who would have thought? Uh, but it's at least it's science fictional music. Nope, it's not that either. Um, and nope. it's also musical theater that none of us have actually seen. So it's essentially we're talking about an album, basically, which is the two hours and 23 minutes and 46 tracks of the original Broadway cast recording of a musical called Hamilton by Lin-Manuel Miranda, which is taking uh, many parts of the uh, culture by storm. It is a wild success. It is hard to get a ticket. I believe our own uh, Lex Friedman for his birthday in November, I think, got a Mm -hmm. ticket for September of the following (laughs) year to see it. So yeah, um, it's hard. It's a, it's a, it's a tough ticket. And the reason is because it is spectacularly good and uh, fun to listen to. And once you start, you can't stop. And it's much better than you might expect that a musical that is largely inspired by a biography of America's first secretary of the treasury might be. Uh, talking about this with me are the following wonderful guests. Chip Sutterth, hello. It was my understanding that this was actually a historical Doctor Who episode. It could be. Just w- wait for it. Um, Mo- Monty Ashley, you can be my right-hand man. <laughs> what? That's my favorite line. <laughs> he says okay. it twice. Okay. David Lore is here, straight from the theater. Theater Not is that life, theater. Jason. Yeah, mm mm-hmm. And Serenity Caldwell, who's been (laughs) Hamiltoning pretty pretty much consistently for the last two months. I'm over 19, and my mind is older. All right. Well, that works, then. Story checks out. Yeah. Seems seems to be right. Uh, Yeah. So, Hamilton. Any opening statements? (laughs) Are we doing Syracuse here? (laughs) I don't know. Oh, God. This is going to be a three-hour podcast. I I have an opening (laughs) statement. The album's two and a half hours. Go ahead. Okay, Chip. This should not be... This thing should not (laughs) exist. This is impossible. This is a Simpsons gag. This is Rock Me Dr. Zayas stuff. Can I play the piano anymore? Of course you can. Well, I couldn't before. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. Oh, Dr. Zayas. This play has everything. Oh, I love legitimate theater. I don't understand how this wonderful thing can exist and, more to the point, can be so good. There are a few places in this musical where I do get a a little bit of a Simpsons parody musical vibe. There are a few lines that I think are kind of clunkers where it's it's so on the nose that I'm like, yeah, okay, Uh, I would laugh at at it if it were not surrounded by brilliance. But it is it is ninety nine percent brilliance and one percent kind of cringe it's not just that it's hamilton it's a rap musical oh yeah oh yes right yeah right really as somebody who is a huge musical theater fanatic um but not a big rap hip-hop fan like i enjoy it casually but i'm not the person who's like i know all of these artists and i can i can rap for you i'm not a yeah i'm not a female white rapper surprise this show completely bowled me over in such a weird way where I'd been hearing 
little bits of it. I had been hearing uh, rumors and talk and like little like, oh, Hamilton, 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 Hamilton. And it just kept on popping up in my Why do you keep saying Hamilton, you said? (laughs) Well, I I was saying before before we started, you know, I actually walked past. Hamilton started off-Broadway at the Public Theater. And I was in New York uh, the second or third night that it began running at the public. And I remember walking past the public and seeing these big, basically neon yellow uh, posters that are like, who lives, who dies, who tells your story? And then an outline of Hamilton and with Hamilton written in big block letters at the bottom. And I remember looking at that and being like, Hamilton, maybe I I don't, maybe this is like some artist that I don't know. Um, I'm completely missing this. (laughs) This is weird. I saw people queuing and I'm like, oh, well, I could find out what it is. Nah, I'm just going to keep on walking. And that was my experience with Hamilton for six months where it was just like I kept on seeing little bits to it or I'd see someone mention, oh, I'm, you know, I'm f- an old friend of mine from high school is in the cast of Hamilton. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. Maybe I'll go get and see it sometime. And then I then there was the Ben Brantley's New York Times review where it was like, mortgage your children to see – or mortgage your house and, and, <laughs> and sell your children to see this. Like mortgage your children, actually. Yeah. That's but, but yes, mortgage your children. I would totally children. mortgage my children to see this. Yeah, but that's but, – but so I was saw that and I'm like, what is this show? Because I actually don't know. And I started reading it. I'm like, huh, that's interesting. A musical about Alexander Hamilton. And my mother came uh, to visit me in early September uh, right after the show had uh, basically come to Broadway. And I'm like, oh, well, maybe we'll, uh, maybe we'll stand by for – for this musical and we'll get tickets for um we got tickets for um gentleman's guide to love and murder and i'm like well maybe we'll also since it's a matinee maybe we'll stand by for the evening show and we walk by just to see if they were doing a ham for ham like do we walk by the richard rogers and there are 700 people Mm -hmm. there and my jaw just drops because you know i'm i'm old school musical theater which is to say well not old school but like old school for me meaning I slept overnight to get tickets for rent. Like, I remember the early rent lotteries before Broadway had lotteries um, when, re- when rent was doing his touring cast and everything else. And and those lotteries were, you know, they were, ver- like, it, inspiring and exciting, but it was, like, 150 people. And to see 700 people crowding as close as possible to this little theater um, and then later to see all of the ham for hams um, – as soon as we got in the car after going to see A Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder, which was a fabulous show, uh, I immediately bought the Hamilton soundtrack. And I'm like, all right, I'm just going to listen to it because someone says it's sung through. So it's kind of like, you know, you can enjoy it like you might lay Miz. So I'm just going to do it. And so I started the Hamilton soundtrack at the start of the New York drive. And I finished it at 1 a.m. At the, f- at the end of my drive. Literally, I finished Who Lives, Who Dies, Who Tells Your Story. As I was pulling up into uh, <laughs> into our driveway, and then Sobbing I proceeded to sob for three yeah. minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Because I was just like, "What the first? Uh, what is this? What is this entire that has made me feel so emotions, so many emotions, and I'm so confused? And why? Why? Why has this suddenly become all I can think of about for the next, you know, week?" And that was that was this. That was the impetus for me, like getting obsessed about Hamilton is I just listened to this thing and I immediately want to listen to it again. And then every time someone brought it up for the next three, four, even now, anytime someone talks about Hamilton, I'm like, 
I need to listen to the the soundtrack again, which is crazy. When a friend of mine uh, asked me on social media, you know, why why are people into this? I don't understand this. And I said, it is fantastic. It's only, yeah, it's Andy Anatko's fault that I'm into this thing because <laughs> he tweeted about the, the the sale that Google Music had, that it was, they were selling it for $2, two stinking dollars oh, yeah. is, I believe, the <laughs> phrase that he used. So I get it and I go nuts. And this friend asks me, why is everybody talking about Hamilton? It's just that good. Here's the show. And she responds, wait, people are getting this crazy over a cast album Mm -hmm. people haven't been able to see it yet it's just the cast album yes it's just that good it's a very good cast album (laughs) hamilton the quality of the hamilton cast album has been really inconvenient for me because a few months ago i said i am out of touch with what's going on on broadway because i live in seattle and broadway lives in new york like a jerk Mm -hmm. (laughs) apologies to anybody who lives in new york and is not a jerk (laughs) <laughs> so I started a blog, broadwayaway.com, on the grounds that I live away from Broadway. And I said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to catch up on Broadway, and I'm going to learn everything about Broadway, and I'm going to know what's happening. And there's all these cast albums on Spotify, which is great. I'm just going to say, all right, what, what have I missed? I don't really know what happens in uh, Passions. I do know what happens in Passions, but that's that sort of thing. So I was just going to listen to a whole bunch of cast albums, read books, and know what's going on. The problem is... I just listened to Hamilton over and over and over and over again. And I have to stop myself and say, no, you need to give Sunset Boulevard another try. And I listen to like <laughs> one song of Sunset Boulevard and nope. nope, right back into Hamilton over and over and over and over again. <laughs> it's tough. It's tough. Uh, the, um, the fascination, too, I mean, we, we've, we've said it, it is about a guy that uh, a lot of people have never even heard of. When we mentioned Hamilton on Twitter uh, in regards to this show and some other stuff that we've been working on, um, I've heard from a bunch of people outside of the United States who have no idea not only what the show is, but who this person is. Uh, Americans would probably know Hamilton from him being on the $10 bill and from that Got Milk ad uh, probably. Who shot Alexander Hamilton in that famous duel? Everyone bored. And yet, uh, Lynn Manuel Miranda, while on vacation, was it his honeymoon? Mm-hmm. I think it might have yep. even been his it honeymoon. Was his honeymoon. Uh, he he read the book Alexander Hamilton by Ron Chernow, which is a, a long but good book uh, about a biography of Alexander Hamilton. They have now put a Hamilton logo on it because, you know. <laughs> Marketing. It's like putting Tom Cruise on the cover of uh, of the firm, uh, War of the Worlds. <laughs> sure, okay. Now major uh, uh, Broadway cast recording, and and the point of Miranda was he wanted to tell this story of this uh, lesser known character from the American Revolution, and also I think uh, really appreciated the 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 source of Hamilton, which is that he was an immigrant. Uh, famously, as the show starts, you know, he his his father left, his mother died. Uh, he ended up uh, at a very young age. See, first off, seeing awful conditions and squalor in the Caribbean, and then eventually proving his worth uh, as a as a brilliant young worker. And people pooled their money and sent him to get an education on the mainland. And that that's how that's how he starts. And in a very short amount of time, because he's in the right place at the right time with his incredible gifts, he becomes a key figure in the American Revolution and the aftermath. Uh, It's a great story. And I think Miranda's thought was, I can't believe nobody's really told this story. So 
so he he took it upon himself to to do it and he does it in a whole bunch of different musical styles it is kind of unfair to say that this is a hip-hop musical it's a lot of different styles including a lot of hip-hop you know but there's there's other styles too i think you you don't give him enough credit he he's he's playing with uh with all the parts oh uh, absolutely british british pop and classic musical theater style and and even you know touches of gilbert and sullivan so much so Mm -hmm. much it's i mean I I've I have so many friends who work in New York theater and and even at the public theater that this has been on on like the edges of my radar for like two or three years now, and so when it first started the the workshop performances and and the first uh, run at the public theater before Broadway, back when they didn't they weren't I mean they were hoping to go to Broadway but they you know there was no concrete plan at that point, and and even at that point. The, the people I knew who worked there, the people I knew who went to see it said, oh, my God, this is the next thing. <laughs> and, you know, and, and by the time I had a chance to go, there was no way in, in hell I was going to get a ticket for it, even with all these friends, because the demand was so great. Hamilton gets in the news now pretty much every two weeks for yeah, something. Yeah. It's yeah, great. It's it was on, on the all Today the show. Shows. Yeah, exactly. It's been on the, all the late night shows. Uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda has gotten to show off how ridiculously good he is at freestyle rapping <laughs> yep. on pretty much yeah. every show. Um, Chris uh, Christopher Jackson was on uh, the Today Show like three days ago just talking about his uh, his experiences. I don't know. There's something... It's a, it's a confluence of factors, right? It's that the music is... Um, amazing blend of so many different styles and types of uh, of musical theater and of hip hop, of rap, of rock, of you know, of all of yeah. basically a, a hundred years of music smushed into this beautiful thing. For all the talk about how it's a revolutionary show, and I think in many ways it is, it, it's also very much in the tradition of musical theater. I mean, mm-hmm. rap has been on Broadway for decades. Stephen Sondheim had rap and Into the Woods, kind mm-hmm. of. <laughs> I mean. Gilbert and Sullivan was the prototype rap on in musical theater, if you think about it. Yeah, yeah. I am the very model of a modern major general is totally rap. It's just rap done very fast and very, mono, you know, it's monosyllabic to a tune rather than just monosyllabic freeform. Like Lin-Manuel Miranda has had worked with Sondheim and you can tell from Ham from Ham how big a musical theater nerd this guy is. <laughs> what I think is really special about Hamilton, aside from the music... And um, and the orchestration, by the way, if you if you want a new way to listen to Hamilton, listen with an ear guided towards the orchestrations because the orchestrations are brilliant and a wonderful call out. Like they're callbacks and callbacks within callbacks and really smart things and banjos and weird weird uh, little bits uh, on a synthesizer. But and banjos, out- yes, and banjos. <laughs> but besides the music, which is wonderful. Besides the fact that Lin-Manuel Miranda is a very, very talented composer and and actor, uh, the entire cast, there's such an energy from this show, from the people who are promoting it, which are really the on the, you know, on the line cast members. In some ways, it feels very high school theater in a strain. It's it's the most high school theater show on Broadway there is. That's a really good take. Everybody's so delighted to be part of it. Like these these actors are getting paid for it, but they're they're happy. And that, that's one of the things that's been fascinating to me about it. Uh, right now, as we're speaking this weekend, there's the new Broadway Con. It's like they're trying to do a Comic Con for Broadway, <laughs> and 
uh, the yeah, first thing <laughs> everyone is talking about Hamilton and, and someone online brought up, you know, oh, the great thing about Hamilton is the colorblind casting. And mm. someone else immediately went, mm. uh, it's not colorblind. That was intentional. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And part of part of the beauty of the ham for ham shows is that it is showing that it's not just a gimmick. These cast members love musical theater and, and they they are deeply talented. They do more than just what's in Hamilton. Let me take a break to tell you about one of our sponsors on this episode. It's Casper Mattresses. I've told you about them before. These are obsessively engineered American-made mattresses at a shockingly fair price. And you can get $50 toward any mattress purchase by going to casper.com slash Snell, my last name, and using code Snell at checkout. We all spend a third of our lives sleeping. I feel like this last week I've been spending a little bit less than a third of my life sleeping. I need to get some more sleep, but I've been staying up late. I had stuff to do. But you know, when I lay down on my Casper mattress, which I have, I get a very nice night's sleep. And that's because Casper is unlike most other mattresses. It's got two amazing technologies that are brought together, latex foam and memory foam. The latex foam gives you a really nice feel on top. Memory foam has got a lot of support. And in the end, it is the most comfortable mattress that I have ever slept on. And I'm not kidding. And they are not paying me to say that part. That is actually the truth. There is a risk-free trial and return policy. So if you're afraid of buying a mattress sight unseen, not knowing about it, putting it on a lot of money, and then getting it and being disappointed, don't worry about it. They deliver it to you. You can try it for up to 100 days. So spend three months sleeping on it. And if you're not happy, they will pick it back up, take it away, and give you your money back. At the store, you might lay down for five minutes, and it's not going to tell you anything about how comfortable the mattress is. With Casper, you can sleep on it. Literally, they'll let you sleep on it for months. $500 for a twin, up to $950 for a king. If you compare that to the mattress industry prices, that's a pretty great price point. And of course, you're going to get $50 toward any purchase by going to casper.com slash Snell and using code Snell. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you so much to Casper for sponsoring The Incomparable. Well, there are a couple of other reasons that I think that this is that this has struck such a chord in addition to what y'all have said. Uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda makes a big deal about how the whole point of the casting and the music choices and things like that is to just utterly remove the distance between us in 2016 and the time of Hamilton, 1776 and all that stuff. It's using it's it's doing an incredible job of translating history into something that we can just viscerally enjoy. There's some, it's not quite call and response, but there's a level of audience participation, I understand, in the theater during this show. Um, they've had to add extra bars uh, to the to the song, um, to when the, to the world town, turned yeah. upside down, when um, Lafayette and Hamilton say, immigrants, we get the job done, and give each other a high five, Add more bars because the audience is too busy laughing. Nobody will hear the next the next bit. So I think that that accessibility is really important to why this thing's taken off. And also, you know, talk about viral use of social media. Everything from um, Lin-Manuel Miranda at the White House on YouTube to his um, constant tweets and the, and the ham for ham phenomenon, all this other stuff. They are doing everything right to just sort of virally get into your head to the point that I worry about a backlash someday that it just gets yeah. so big mm -hmm. that people get just 
sick and tired of it and maybe it doesn't have as long a shelf life as it might because of just saturation. Well, it is it is the most pre-sold show in Broadway, so it's going to run for a while at least. <laughs> <laughs> it's sold out through October. Like to state the obvious, if you look at the guys who are actually, you know, the actual Washington, the actual Madison, the actual Jefferson, the actual Hamilton, from where we are now in 2016, they all look pretty much identical. They're all white guys in powdered wigs and buckling shoes. And you can't tell the difference between them and the guys in England, the hated upper class who was keeping them down. So casting people that look and talk more like America does, I think is a really good way of letting you identify with the scrappy underdog. Because if you saw the actual Hamilton saying, I'm young, scrappy, and hungry, you'd go, no one in a powdered wig is scrappy. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it, it also breaks you out of that assumption of, you know, oh, well, it's Thomas Jefferson. Or, you know, like you, you look at 1776, everybody looks very stereotypically like the, the picture books and, you know, and the music is very formal. It was kind of dated even when it was new, you know. And <laughs> William and Daniels this, has a British accent still. <laughs> <laughs> and and this, you know, it's it's vibrant. It's alive. It, it jolts you out of that. Uh, sort of nothing against Ken Burns, but it, that sort of Ken Burns look at history, <laughs> right? Where it's not still photographs and it's not the preconceived notions. And now you actually listen to Thomas Jefferson. This was not a Thomas Jefferson I knew no. when I listened to it. Mm -hmm. It's not that I've avoided reading history, but, you know, <laughs> you never think of Thomas Jefferson as being an unsympathetic character or being wrong. Sometimes, right? Right. He's, he's been he's beatified. Thomas Jefferson. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he's part know. of the hagiography of the American Revolution. And so right, everybody's right. great and they all get along. And it's all, I mean, the, the line about, um, it's very nice in the, in the rap battle. Of, Thomas, that was a real nice declaration. Welcome to the present. We're running a real nation. Would you like to join us? We're staying mellow, doing whatever the hell it is you doing, Monticello. It, yeah, there's so much um, embedded in that because... It is talking not only about uh, Sally Hemings, but it's talking about uh, his love of uh, of marijuana, which is a fact about Thomas Jefferson. Yep. He smoked hemp all the time. So <laughs> some really nice bits that are thrown in to, the, to humanize. And yeah, you've also got these characters are pitted against each other. You need to see the differences. It's important mm -hmm. to see the differences. Hamilton's story is kind of his differences with everybody around him. Yeah. <laughs> I like the way Lin-Manuel Miranda... Although he's he's really making history come alive, he's also not afraid to just shamelessly cut corners if it'll improve the narrative. Because oh, yeah. his most yeah. important goal is to tell the story that works. So, for instance, you have <laughs> Hamilton blasting Jefferson for being a slaver and then turning to his best friend, George, George Washington. Washington. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, no well, big um, deal, George the, Washington. <laughs> the, you know, the order in which the sisters met Hamilton, it was not <laughs> at all real. How about my father has no sons? <laughs> sisters had no sons is yeah. not accurate. And the fact is that they, um, at the moment in the play when uh, Hamilton, you know, this is one of the other notable things about Hamilton is that he was the first kind of American politician to uh, be bitten by a sex scandal. Um, and uh, that's detailed in this in this play. But um, he, the way it works in the narrative is at that point, his wife uh, basically walks away from him 
And it's a very modern take on that relationship. But in fact, during that whole period where they are seen as being basically, it's implied that they're apart in the musical, um, they were still having kids. So, you know, that's not particularly accurate either, but it's all in yeah. service of the of the big story here. And, and, yeah. and criticism of, of missing some of the details sort of misses the big picture. One of the nice things about it, too, is, and, and we sort of touched on it the last time we talked about it, is the idea uh, that, you know, this is all a flashback that Burr starts out introducing us to. And so I went back and listened to it with that in mind. And and so there is a concentration not just on who lives, who dies, who tells your story, but specifically on unreliable narrators, getting details wrong. Eliza um, taking herself out of the narrative mm-hmm. by burning <sighs> all, all her letters, yeah. which, they, you know, that's totally made up. We don't know what she did. We don't know why those letters don't survive. But that is a gorgeous moment in the, in the show. And, and I have seen the staging for that, and it is amazing. Um, so, so it kind of it, it makes it OK to have cut corners. It, it sort of gives itself the license to do that. It's theater. Also, also, it's theater. I it's, very, it's not oh, a biography. No, I know. <laughs> I know. Uh, but but it's just it's sort of baked in. It's not it's not just, oh, they did it. Let's just say some of the people I'll put it this way. Some of the people who criticize the fact that characters who aren't white are playing white characters also criticize the musical because it's not entirely accurate because they're looking for <laughs> yes. things to complain about uh, in this in this story. Because, you know, the fact right. is, this is a political this this story is political. It is political in many ways, not just about the politics of the past, but the politics of the present. Some people don't really like that. There are a lot of people who've made a lot of money and careers out of talking about the intentions of the founding fathers and Miranda like Cherno ha- wants to uh get people to know a founding father who had some different ideas and that there's complexity there and you can't just talk about founders intent uh like uh, certain members of our supreme court do uh and and it can be simplified quite a bit from the reality of it so that that's all part of the argument that's going on here I think that lovely line that an ensemble member tosses off when Aaron Burr is campaigning for president and says I, I could I feel like I could have a beer, beer with him beer with him <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh-huh. what I appreciate is that it seems like Miranda's first priority is putting on a really entertaining show yeah. with accurate history in it. And I mm-hmm. think that's the correct order. Yeah, I agree. And and it's interesting enough. I mean, I was not dying to read Ron Chernow's book. And, and I picked it up in the bookstore and went, this is a very heavy book. It is. And it's got tiny print. There's so many pages. <laughs> and I can say from experience more than once – it hurts when it falls on your nose when you fall asleep reading it, <laughs> which is not a reflection on the book. It's really good, but it's heavy. And and yet it was interesting enough that I wanted to know the rest of the details and I wanted to know what it was that excited him about it so much. I mean, he says by the end of the second chapter, he was already figuring out how to make it a musical. You know, why? How did it, how did that happen? So that's why I picked it up. And man, it is a good book. Yeah, it is. It's uh, lots of... Interesting details. And the best part of it is you're not just hearing a story about history when you read that book, but it's also a story about um, you get the sense that it's a story that hasn't been told before, that that Cherno is in some ways a character in that book, because uh, at several points he points out that there's information that has essentially not been collected and collated and made part of the overall narrative until him 
essentially, which is really interesting. Oh, yeah. Hamilton's yeah. initial thoughts were all there was sort of like the the his contemporaries who, who wanted to throw him down even after he died. And then there were his family members who wanted to build this other narrative about it. And then there were all the these documents, including things from the Caribbean that nobody even nobody even found. For, and, yeah. and then Cherno kind of puts it together and says, look, this guy's way more interesting than anyone is giving him credit for. Well, no one I, I think, honestly, no one. No one ever looked. I mean, you get this this line in the opening song. His uh, his enemies destroyed his rep. America forgot him, and it's true. I mean, when we think Alexander Hamilton, we think money. And Ten dollar think... founding father. Well, exactly. When yeah. we think money, we think yawn. Yep. Because yeah. it's the same thing. You know, I saw the Big Short recently, which was a which is a fantastic fantastic book and a fantastic movie. Um, but they basically say flat out in that film, it's like, yeah. Um, this stuff sounds really boring. Are you ready to go to sleep yet? Okay, no. Here's a here's a model <laughs> and a bubble bath to distract you. And it's the same thing. It's like Alexander Hamilton. He deals with money. He set up you know banks and and financial systems. Yawn. Okay, why is that interesting? Let's let's talk about Adams because you know Adams was yeah. really interesting. <laughs> but and Adams was at least a president. Which yeah. if you're if you weren't a president and you're not. Ben Franklin, who's mm. the most fascinating guy in the world, mm-hmm. we don't care. <laughs> Take that, John Jay. When I was in school, uh, you know, basically you got – he uh, was the first secretary of the treasury. He got shot in a duel with Aaron Burr. He's on the $10 bill next. And, I mean, the way the way history was doled out to us in, in high school was pretty much, you know, okay, the Civil War. You memorize the general for each battle. That's it. Right. There was no context. There was no interest. It was just like, you know, memorize this stuff and take the test. And, you know, I all of that stuff I learned on my own because I was interested. And now I'm watching my 14 year old going through the same thing. He doesn't like musicals. He's not interested in reading history books. He wants to know more because he fell in love with the musical. Mm-hmm. He wants he wants his teacher to play it. It's like, here, you need to listen to this. So let me there ask, what, what do you think, uh, all of you, um, what is the what is the thing that causes Hamilton to have the appeal that it does to all of us? We haven't even seen the show to all the people who are trying to see the show, the people who see the show and they love it. Um, you know, what what is what is the source of of the appeal? Um, well, uh, three things I'm going to claim. One, it's super, super catchy. They say you need a show that you can hum, and I hum stuff from this musical all, all day long. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, if I'm in a line, I am waiting for it. It's an entire can <laughs> of earworms. It's two cans of earworms. Yeah. It, it's nonstop. So, the entire first act is song <laughs> after song after song of Powerhouse. The, yeah, the first <laughs> act is is staggering, yeah. Next, it's a genuinely interesting story about an interesting guy who you'd heard of but didn't know a lot about. So as soon as you've heard the album once, you feel like you know so much more about the American Revolution, which, if you're American, is a very important event. So you can immediately be telling people, oh, well, uh, George Washington's right-hand man was Alexander Hamilton. He had to write his <laughs> letters for Washington because Washington was so <laughs> overwhelmed. He even wrote Washington's famous farewell speech, and then they kind of start edging away from you. <laughs> At least they do with me. I know dates now because they're in catchy uh, rhymes. Yeah. <laughs> I only had two. I was bluffing. All right. 
<laughs> Time for a sponsor here on The Incomparable. You know, I've gotten a lot of feedback about the sponsor from our previous episode. It is unusual a little bit for us. It is a sponsor related to panties, and people are like, really, panties? Like, well, you know, did you not hear the ads for underpants and for socks? Uh, there may be, who knows what other garments might be coming next. But this, in particular, it's Valentine's season. And this is a service. It is designed for people with uh, women who are your partners, and you want to get them something nice. And this is a, a subscription service. It's called Enclosed. And it is similar to those subscription services that bring you a cool uh, a gadget or game or flowers or beer every month. But instead, yes, this is panties for that special woman in your life. Um, they're not the usual kind. They're very nice. They're high quality. The idea here is that she will love what she gets. It comes in a beautiful box. There's a whole uh, kind of nice experience that goes along with it. Some flower petals. It's very romantic. You can get one, three, six, or 12 months subscriptions to this, and you can get it just in time for Valentine's Day. Now, Enclosed's product is not cheap. But when we're talking about that special woman in your life, you wouldn't want cheap, would you? No, I didn't think you would. You'll thank me again. Uh, go to enclosedlingerie.com slash Snell. Use code Snell during checkout. You'll get $25 off any multi-month order. So E-N-C-L-O-S-E-D-L-I-N-G-E-R-I-E dot com. Boy, that was a little bit like Hamilton. Slash Snell with the code Snell to get $25 off any multi-month order. Thank you to Enclosed for sponsoring The Incomparable. Ren, what's your uh, what's what's the source for you of uh, of why this works so well? I will go off what Monty was saying for story because I really do think that what is what caught me, what caught my boyfriend, my parents who hate rap, um, <laughs> pretty much ever oh, like everybody I know who has listened to the show is like this is something special. Even people who don't like musical theater, don't like rap, don't like anything and i i do think it's the don't the like america don't like 10 dollar yeah, exactly. bills don't, don't like don't like nothing they're they're anti everything no um it's this it's the the universal connection there's something in this story pretty much for everybody and the songs you know the the album is very well constructed in that it does tell a complete narrative which so few musical scores you can really claim for you know there's always like big leaps that you have to make being like uh does that make sense but this is a show this is a show in of itself but even if you listen to these songs out of context, they are still great songs yeah. and they still tell a story. You know, um, Hurricane is one of those great, you know, examples of an act two song that I actually didn't initially like. And then the more I listened to it, um, the more I really, really identified with, oh, this is actually, you know, every, everybody can identify with that. Like, I have, <laughs> I have this one talent that can get me out of situations. And for some people, it's writing. For some people, it's something entirely different. But I don't know. There's something. There's something just so special that I feel like every everyone can identify to the core values of this story. The idea of someone who just wants to, you know, wants to make a name for themselves, wants to do something important, uh, fresh off the boat. Yeah, quite literally. Yeah, I mean that that speaks to fresh immigrants. And honestly, I mean, for me, listening to it. It reminded me a lot of like, oh, that's the that the energy that I missed that from being like I'm not I'm not 22 anymore. You know, I'm not 19. I'm not like young, scrappy, and hungry. I've I've kind of settled a little bit, um, and I have sort of a, a stat not a stagnant life, but I have a settled a good life. But 
I feel like Hamilton is the kind of show you listen to to get you excited about your life and what you could be doing and oh the possibilities and living in the greatest city in the world. I don't know, it just there there are parts of the show that put just the biggest smile on my face and make me remember like there's there's a world full of possibilities just you wait. Um granted most of those possibilities turn horrible in act 2, but <laughs> your life doesn't fault. have to I'm be Hamilton act 2. In act 2. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I'm going to be Hamilton in Act 1 and not Hamilton in Act 2, and everything's <laughs> yep. going to turn out great. I, I was thinking of, um, when, when I was listening to this, I was thinking of Lawrence of Arabia, which, again, a uh, historical <laughs> figure, uh, and that, that's that's a film with an intermission. And Act 1, the first the first half of Lawrence of Arabia, so spectacular, ends on a high note. And Act 2, wow, things kind of suck for Lawrence in Act 2. And I, then I thought about it, and I said, well, that's life, right? For, especially in these biographies of, of great people with amazing stories, is there's the Act one, which is like, here's how they became famous, and isn't it all great? And then there's Act two, which is like, yeah. And then uh, the the story continues, and it uh, it gets complicated and kind of sad after that. But that's all that's all part of the arc of the story. Uh, Chip, what's what for you? What's the source of uh, of the appeal of Hamilton? Two parts. One is one is that very arc. Uh, this is not. Hamilton's a rock star. Hamilton's great. Let's sing. Let's sing the praises of Hamilton. He's a hero all the way through the end kind of story. He's almost a. I apologize for dragging Babylon Five into this, but he's almost a Londo. He's almost a Londo Malari character. Can't we talk about one Broadway show without someone dragging Babylon Five into the discussion? I know. I know. Every time. Hamilton is his own worst enemy. Absolutely. His own worst enemy. He yeah. can't stop himself. He can't yeah. shut up, and he destroys himself it's the fuel and the fuel that makes him great also destroys him yeah, i feel like is classic is, greek tragedy structure exactly yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. it's like and, you know burr's burr's advice to talk less smile more is cynical but it's also not bad advice sometimes yeah <laughs> it's not bad when it comes to self-preservation and hamilton yeah. has no interest in self-preservation and that's what makes that character so fascinating to watch you know you're you're up there cheering with him um at the battle of yorktown and he just looks unstoppable and you're just so full of energy and then you watch him repeatedly screw up it's not just a tragedy of things bad things happening to him but he gives bad advice to his son he goes nuts on john adams um the fatalism I, I think is a really good point that in in my shot he says i imagine death so much it feels more like a memory when's it gonna get me in my sleep seven feet ahead of me if i see it coming do i run or do i let it be is it like a beat without a melody see i never thought i'd live past 20 where i come from some get half as many ask anybody why we live it fast and we laugh reach for a flash we have to make this moment last you That's definitely get the sense scratch that from uh from hamilton that his life has started out so badly and he's been surrounded by death that he doesn't really expect to live and and when washington tells him eventually it's all right you want to fight you've got a hunger i was just like you when i was younger head full of fantasies of dying like a martyr yes dying is easy young man living is harder this is a moment of change, but I mean, this is Hamilton's worldview, and you see it. It, it. He's not. He's not living to survive, right? He's living to go out in a in a burst of glory. 
Yeah, he wants, he thinks, yeah. up until that moment, he thinks the way to make his legacy is to get there, do something, go out yeah. in the blaze of glory. And it's and, at that moment. And get, it's the, it, get put in the fight so he can die yeah. a hero instead of being back at the base. General Mercer got a street named for him. Ah, Mr. Secretary. Mr. Burr. Sir. And did you hear the news about good old General Mercer? No. You know Claremont Street. Yeah. They renamed it after him. The Mercer legacy is secure. Sure. And all he had to do was die. Yeah, that's a lot less work. We ought to give it a try. <laughs> that would have been easy, wouldn't it? The other thing that really makes this musical just hum is sometimes Hamilton's not the most interesting character in the show. Aaron Burr. Oh, no. yeah. Um, you know, these are two <laughs> hugely flawed people, and um, they attack uh-huh. life in completely different ways. But Aaron Burr is you know the things that he wants you understand why he wants them and as he falls further and further behind hamilton um and and becomes almost unhinged by the end um you feel for him you know the that man's not going to make an orphan of my daughter you know that 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 line's just sort of like desperately screamed out you watch the intersection between those two characters um and that i that may be the most propulsive force in the in, in the whole thing, maybe even beyond the catchy songs. They, it's well, it's humanist, right? I mean, there's there's these these are real people. They they leap off of the page and out of the song. I read a great interview with the descendants of Hamilton and Burr. Oh yes, a descendant of Hamilton and a descendant of Burr are both friends and in a boating club in New York. Which I think is fascinating by itself. <laughs> the descendant of Burr said she really didn't like Ron Chernow's book because Aaron Burr is just a villain in it. But she loves Hamilton because Burr comes off as more of a rounded character. Like he's got motivations in the musical that really aren't explored in the book, which I think is fascinating. Mm-hmm. Well, and Lin-Manuel Miranda mentions that he he read a couple of different books to get yeah. Burr's side. And one of them I have on a perennial bookmark list to to read eventually. This is just the, the heartbreak of Aaron Burr, which goes down that route mm. of the, you know, Wait For It is such a fantastic song on the album because it really does detail, like, this is this is trying to get inside the head of someone who will later become the villain and like what what he what he cares about and it comes down to death doesn't discriminate between the sinners and the saints it takes and it takes and it takes and we can live in any way we rise and we fall and we break and we make mistakes and if there's a reason I'm still alive when everyone who loves me has died I'm willing to wait for it wait for it I'm willing to wait for it that's supposed to be 20, 25-year-old Burr singing that. Um, but we also, we look down, we have the privilege of knowing future history and knowing that Theodosia dies unspeakably young of stomach cancer and knowing that his daughter dies lost at sea. Well, and you could like, argue that this is all, I mean, he's an audience proxy. So Burr, Burr mm-hmm. in many ways has access to the knowledge of where of where this is all going. That's part of the story because he's the damn fool who shot him right from the start. So this is, right. he's telling that story. Mm-hmm. And so, and so that makes it even more... Um, the, the whole conceit of having Aaron Burr tell the story of Alexander Hamilton is a great move, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, and it leads to a lot of interesting shading. But it's funny that you mentioned Wait For It, because I would actually argue um, that's one of those songs that if you take it out of the context of the musical, that is a legitimately great song. That is just yes. a great song. It's beautiful. And then in the context of who's singing it and why he's singing it, 
and you could even argue in some ways he's singing it. Uh, I mean, describing everyone who has loved him has died. That's Hamilton's story, too. When he comes to yeah. America is everybody has died and he, there's nobody left but him. And these two men are both in this position where they know, um, you know, they, they've got nobody until they make their own way. Burr and Hamilton have the same story or the same backstory in many ways, and yet they interact with the world and they're 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 shaped by those stories in such different ways. Um, Lin-Manuel Miranda, you know, graduation speeches, you know, Lin-Manuel Miranda set for life on that circuit. Um, (laughs) um, And he did a great one um, where he told the uh, crop of college graduates, you know, that wait for it and I'm going to take my shot, not going to throw, not throwing away my shot are like the the two different ways to deal with life. And sometimes you have to do one, sometimes you have to do the other. And it's fascinating in this musical watching when those strategies work for Hamilton and Burr and when they fail utterly. Absolutely. And not to, not to derail too much, but I would highly recommend um, if after you've listened to the, the show, if people want to go see, there's an alternate version of Wait For It that was performed. Um, Broadway does a thing every year where they basically get folks on stage. Um, and they did a basically a, a very close to acoustic version of Wait For It um, based around all of the recent murders that have been going like uh, the, the Black Lives Matter movement and some of the other um, the the recent mass shooting in San Bernardino. And it's it's chilling how you can take a song that, you know, is very much in context in the musical. But this is this is why I think that this musical is not just like pop pop culture explosion and will die in six months, that it actually has lasting meaning that you can take, you know, you remove the first verse and you take the rest of the the the, the song out of context. You put it in a completely different situation. Um, it reminds me a little bit of Rent's like, uh, will I lose my dignity? Will someone care? Um, where it's just these sort of haunting, haunting phrases that just stick in your head and are useful for so many different situations. It's kind of an interesting contrast with Rent in that Rent has a character who's obsessed with writing one song before he dies that he might mm-hmm. be remembered a little, whereas everyone in Hamilton is doing these huge things <laughs> that are going to be in history books forever. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, yeah, I, I it's funny because I don't think that you know, I, I went actually after listening to Hamilton about a gazillion times, I'm like, I want to listen to, you know, things old, older musicals. So I went back and I listened to Les Mis, which is obviously a huge inspiration for Hamilton in many ways, and also really like the French cousin of Hamilton. But I also went back and, and listened to uh, Rent. And it was funny in some ways, whereas like things that I thought were endlessly clever as a, you know, 14 year old just discovering Rent. Um I think are less clever now. I love Rent, yeah. but let's let's cut Rent a break because yeah. of this. It's essentially unfinished. I mean, oh, it, it is. First, it absolutely it's a first is. Or second draft. It's brilliant for what it is. What it is is an unfinished work. Because well, exactly. And well, I'm not, yeah, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not downplaying. No, it no. There. I just I wanted to point out that I mean, I think that I think you're right. I, I think yeah. it's brilliant, but yet it, it has. It, yeah. Well, it has the um. It it but the energy is the same. I think that's what I was coming back to. Is like the the energy and the excitement and the love that the that the cast felt and just that the 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 buzz it was something different it was Mm -hmm. something special there are some clunkers in rent they probably would have gotten smoothed out probably so yeah Yeah. Uh, there are a few clunkers in 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 this one too it's Mm -hmm. not a perfect musical but that's fine 
it's perfect enough. It's a for musical. Me. Always, <laughs> always enough, something more to shoot for. Um, I had a couple of points. One, one is um, talking about. Uh, there's this idea in this about these people in this place. You talk about, uh, you know, all over the place, things that are going to be remembered throughout history. Um, Cherno makes the point in his book that... Um, he, there's a whole interesting section where he says, now you may be asking yourself, what, how, how fortunate are we that these people who had these ideals and these approaches were in this place at this time, right? The greatest city in the world, which is totally just sucking up to the people who were oh, in the yeah. theater in New York City. Um, <laughs> but uh, they, uh, they uh, how, how could it be? You know, it's so, it's so lucky. And what Cherno says is, look, those people are always around. It's only they're only useful during a revolution. <laughs> they're always yeah. around, but during a revolution, those are the people who end up gravitating toward these things because they're the right people for that kind of moment. Other in another time, they might be a horribly frustrated person or simply somebody that you never heard of who lived a life where they didn't get to put those ideals into action. But they're they're always with us, and in those moments when they the, this sort of thing happens, they're the ones who we end up remembering. So I thought that was an interesting point. Uh, that and, and that of course made. happened. Like during the lives of some of them, like Thomas Paine was hugely important and great when we needed a revolution. As mm-hmm. soon as the revolution's over, Thomas Paine is a really annoying guy to have around. Everybody <laughs> stopped listening. We to don't him. hear much about Thomas Paine. <laughs> Hamilton's youth is actually really important to this story because um, being late to the party in some ways, um, you know, his story becomes more about the nation building than about the revolution. The revolution is very dramatic and it's part of his coming of age and there's all of that in there. But, you know, Hamilton makes his stamp after the revolution when they're right. when they're building the country. And another thing that's in Cherno's book is that gets glossed over in American history class when you're a kid is it was a real tenuous thing that there was going to be a, a, a federal government with a strong central government after the revolution. It was very, very hard for that to be come into being. And Hamilton was a big part of that. And that that's his story. His story is the is the after the revolution part more really than the than the revolution part. And so that that's a that's kind of a, an interesting space on it. I love stories like that. Chip, it's a little like Babylon 5, um, where, you know, when the war is over, the story doesn't get, it isn't over. In fact, what you do after the war, when you're trying to put things back together, can be way more interesting and complicated than fighting the war. And Hamilton definitely deals with that while he, while he also is, you know, his life, his life is in pieces too, but he's trying to put the, uh, simultaneously, his life is in pieces and he's trying to put the country together. And unlike Babylon 5, the post-war piece really does hold up. Yeah, well, you know, well, that's because they didn't try to they didn't have to finish the war early for fear that the country would be canceled. Um, Good point. I want to shift gears a little bit. I want to talk about the women of Hamilton, because one of the things that's really notable about this this play is that special is that uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda and I should say also how amazing is I mean, he is the star. And he is the writer of the whole thing. That's pretty amazing. It's pretty great. Um, but he has chosen to take this narrative that could very easily about the men in power. Me, 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 me. But it's not. And, it, yeah. and, and make sure that women's voices are heard throughout. Well, one, one of the things that really jumped out at me on like the third or fourth listen was that uh, there is a thread of helplessness and satisfaction throughout the whole story and the songs. Um, You know, at first you think, well, they're all kind of, they're just songs, right? They're not necessarily all connected, but there's, there's a recurring theme of that would be enough. Oh, he will never be satisfied. I would be satisfied if you survive, just don't die. That's, that would be enough. Right. And the men are never quite 
satisfied. And the women are the sane ones. The women are the ones who are like, if I talk to, to uh, Jefferson at all, you know, we'll we'll see about getting women into the sequel in in the Declaration of Independence and common sense and you know all those things. And and it, the women are eminently sensible in this show, and and the men are idiots. <laughs> <laughs> it also extends to the ensemble. Um the um yes. the soldiers, the cabinet members, um men and women. Hmm. It's it, you know that doesn't come across in the cast album, but uh But it's an know, ensemble. It yeah. is true. Yeah. You can tell you can yeah. tell from the from the choral arrangements if you have an ear for those things. But yeah, I yes. mean in if you look at any of the um any of the shots and the of the cast, it's incredible actually just how many of the ensemble yeah. members are ladies. Um, and if you listen to the background voices on the on the cast album for all of sort of the little bit parts, you know, oh, I wish I'm so glad we're here with him. And oh, no, you didn't during the rap battles. It's a lot of the call outs are all the, the ladies. Well, sonically, you usually have to find a way to shove women in somehow. <laughs> That's why Gilbert and Sullivan are on, were constantly saying, and here he is with his uh, eight daughters. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> all right. We need choral harmonies. But no, I mean, uh, what I found was really fascinating about the staging of this um, and just the use of the choral members. You know, cho the chorus often plays a lot of different roles. Like they're expected to kind of quick change and, and sort of be seen and be ensemble members wherever the ensemble is necessary. But Hamilton seems to take it a step further and also a step back in the sort of the tradition of your Greek chorus, where, you know, the chorus in most of the, the pictures are very, very uh, simply dressed in white, be like beautiful white um, inspired colonial outfits, but not quite colonial outfits. And they're all white and off white. Um, and then they get these various things. But you combine this with um, just an ever presence of like, these are almost the ghosts walking through Hamilton and Burr's life. And you have this proscenium stage that has an upper an upper balcony where characters are constantly standing on and looking down at the action and judging the characters for what's going on and what what's about to happen. Uh, there was a great interview. Vulture did this huge, this whole series about Hamilton, um, Alexander Hamilton's birthday. So they did a week long about the show Hamilton, and they did a um, an interview with a couple of the cast members, uh, the the auxiliary cast members, and including Renee Elise Golds. I butchered her name, um, who plays Angelica Schuyler, um, and David Diggs, who plays Jefferson. Um, and they mentioned they're like, yeah, there's you know, there's one of the songs. Um, and I'm, you know, I look up because I have a free moment and I see that Chris Jackson, who plays uh, George Washington, is just standing up in the, you know, standing up on this upper balcony, just judging me, just looking at me. While I'd, and it's influenced every single performance I've done since then because I just feel his eyes on the back of my neck while I'm singing. And it's, I don't know, it's, there's there's something omnipresent about it that I really love. And Well, it, it makes no bones about it being a story told to you. Oh yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. the, that, that whole framework of the staging, it's not, it's, you know, it's not obvious or blatant about it. It's not like, Hey, look at what we're doing, but exactly. It's like you, you, it's just there. It's and a lovely call. Yeah. It's, I love when theater can do that. History has yeah. its eyes on you. <laughs> yeah. Who tells your story? It's difficult to tell stories uh, from these periods involving women when all the action is happening with the men 
in terms of what we know as the history. And so with um, with Angelica, especially, um, I think with Satisfied, you get uh, some very interesting moments. Uh, we have we have put uh, Alexander Hamilton up on a pedestal. This is his show. We have heard 11 songs, you know, that are all about Hamilton in one way or another. And when we get to Angelica's song, her reaction to Hamilton is, finally, there's somebody who can match me, which is You'd wonderful. Be at my level. Right? Yeah. It's not, yeah. he's not, he's, he's just, it's a relief that he's at her level, and it's a real relief. It's kind of amazing. So this is what it feels like to match with someone at your level. What the hell is the catch? It's the feeling of freedom of seeing the light. It's Ben Franklin with the key and a kite. You see it, right? The conversation lasted two minutes, maybe three minutes. Everything we said in total was three minutes. In three minutes, a bit of a dance, a bit of a posture, it's a bit of a stance. He's a bit of a flirt, but I'm going to give it a chance. I asked about his family. Did you see his answer? His hands started fidgeting. He looked askance. He's penniless. He's flying by the seat of his pants. It's so well, And that song is, that, that may be my favorite song in the whole thing. Although I, you know, every song in the first act, I'm like, oh, that's my favorite. No, 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 no. This <laughs> one is, is my favorite. But she's got the, um, she's got the line. Number one. I'm a girl in a world in which my only job is to marry rich. My um, and that, that is, I think, very important because this is this is the show saying, look, this is what this is our lot in life is this is what is, we have to work with is yeah. stuff like this. And it's not that she is any less capable than Hamilton. And, and in real life, Angelica Schuyler was a formidable person. <laughs> I've um, been reading Common Sense by Thomas Paine. Yeah. When I meet Thomas Jefferson and I did and I might have had an affair with him. <laughs> Maybe. Who knows? Yeah. Ex- yeah. She, yeah. She's Ex- apparently real pals with Jefferson. Oh, yeah. yeah. When because they're they're both overseas, she moves. I'm heading off to London. I have found a wealthy husband who always pays. No, actually, I wanted to say something about the one-two punch of helpless and satisfied. I think are is very very important to the core of this musical. It's mind blowing and also so modern in a in a narrative way where we see (sighs) the courtship play out in helpless mm. and then in satisfied immediately we rewind and see the entire courtship again being mm-hmm. played out through the other sister's perspective it's so it's brilliant brilliant yeah mm-hmm. it's um one fun fun side note um when once i saw hamilton i went back and watched all or listened to all of miranda's other stuff and um, there, there's a small rewind <laughs> bit in Bring It On, the musical, which he worked on. Yeah, there is. Um, mm. And <laughs> as soon as I heard that, the, the, the whole musical is like, oh, my God, I see the seeds of all of these things. Yeah. But going back yeah. to, to Satisfied and to Helpless, I think it is really fascinating to me that we we don't see it through Peggy's eyes. We don't get a Peggy, a Peggy vision. But I love the <laughs> I love the contrast. Uh, between we've got Eliza just being completely struck head over heels with this with this magnificent thinker who just always says the right thing and has the right words. And then you've got Angelica, who's like, yeah, you're pretty smooth. I appreciate that you can be on my level. And both of these women by the second act get called back or they get called back to the end of the first act to, you know, Eliza basically being like, you know, all I want to be is around, you know, I want to be around your brilliance. I want to, you know, I know who I married. I know what I signed up for and I'm okay with this. And Angelica's like, well, you know, I know what I had to sign up for and I'm just going to live, you know, I'm going to live vicariously through my letters to you and I'm going to still talk, I'm going to perhaps talk to Thomas Jefferson. Yep. Um, and, uh, and in act two, each of these ladies gets a, um, you know, Eliza gets her own song, but but uh, even Angelica gets a little bit where they 
get to re like go back to their original their first act selves and just basically be like no you know what i'm revising my i'm revising my place in the narrative where it's like angelica you know angelica of course is singing the the melody from satisfied when she goes into him after he's you know ruined Mm -hmm. everything and published the reynolds pamphlet i love my sister more than anything in this life i will choose her happiness over She just walks off. She's just like, bam. She's not just saying, I love Eliza more than I love myself. She's telling Alexander, you know, it's fun being pen pals with you, but I'm here for Eliza, not you, you yeah, joint. Right. Yeah, my, yeah. my, the, the most important thing to me in my life is my family. And you have basically just ruined my family. It's a get my over family yourself who took moment. You in. Yeah, rats. exactly. And then Eliza has this blockbuster moment in Burn, which used to be one of my least favorite songs and has now very much grown <laughs> on me. But Burn is basically the entire, like Burn, for one thing, it's the inverse chord structure of Helpless, which is beautiful. Um, and for another, she's basically tearing down everything that she said in Hel- Helpless, where she's like, I see myself as this naive kid. You know, I saved every letter you wrote me. Um, and, and I love all of these things. And, and then I, and then she gets to see, she gets to see it from an outsider's perspective. You published the letters she wrote to you. You told the whole world how you brought this girl into our bed. In clearing your name, you have ruined our lives. Do you know what Angelica said when she read what you'd done? She said, you've married an Icarus. He's flown too close to the sun. Uh, It's very much the the concept of oh well this woman was actually very uneducated this woman that he had an affair with and this woman was com- a complete you know buffoon not buffoon in some ways but very under the the education level of any of the Skylar sisters and and she manages to paint this in such a way that like it's such a biting way of I was this stupid I was this I was this lovesick girl I was the person who did this and I'm taking I'm taking my narrative back. She said she may say I'm removing myself from the narrative from mm-hmm. your narrative, but in in essence she's also saying like I'm taking my narrative back and I'm not going to be, you know, I'm not going to be the help sick love, you know, the love sick girl who can't who can't be on her own, who can't do anything. Um who who requires a man to survive to quote the last 5 years because it seems thematically appropriate. Hmm. Um it I don't know, it's it, their their arc over the over the course of the musical is fascinating to me when um angelica in satisfied and she's the first one who really points out the darkness within hamilton that's going to come out and bite mm-hmm. him and that's uh that's something i wanted to point out that uh, she's just you know she reads him in instantly and she's kicking herself for it but as it turns out, she read him exactly right. And when it comes home to roost in, at, in the second act with, God, I hope you're satisfied. The, um, well, and of course, the, the, the way the story ends, this is, this is, and this is tied to history, right? This is, Eliza ends up telling his story. This is the moment that everybody, so I was driving, um, to the airport to pick up my mom and it was raining and it took me way too long to get there. Uh, the traffic was really slow and I made the mistake of starting sort of at the end of act one of Hamilton 
Hamilton. And so by the time I'm sitting on the 880 freeway and it's pouring down rain and I'm inching ahead of five miles an hour and it's getting to the end of Hamilton. And I am just sobbing in the car at that last at the last song. But also knowing the history of it now, that makes it even more heartbreaking because this is, you know, Eliza is one of the uh, reasons that we know what we do. She's the one who set her, their son as well on the case of making sure that people remembered who Alexander Hamilton was and saving his papers. And she creates the orphanage, which, of course, Hamilton was an orphan, essentially. Uh, you know, she raises funds for the Washington Monument. These are all these are all historical facts, but the beauty of it is, even though we start with Burr, you know, it, it is Eliza who tells Alexander Hamilton's story. So, so in the end, I mean, this this is the thing where we get we have the narrative, and she takes herself out and puts herself back in, and all of that happens. Um, so, so it, it's just she's the one who is who who is finishing the story at the end, and so she's vitally important to this all happening. And historically, she was vitally important to Hamilton's story being told. So, in in the end, you know, she, without the women of this story, this story doesn't it can't be told. She rescues the narrative too. She does. I mean, it's she basically, you know, we start with Burr, and we the world was wide enough could be an ending song. Now I'm the villain. History. I was too young and blind to see. I should have known. I should have known the world was wide enough for both Hamilton and me. The world was wide enough for both Hamilton and me. And then just curtain call Ta-da. sadness, and yeah. then. But that's and, not that. But exactly right. But she picks up the the, well, the exactly. tale because she out, outlived both of them. Yeah. Well, and one of the things that I think is really uh, pulling people into this too is we can see ourselves in in a lot of these characters, right? There's this thread of youthful exuberance and confidence and intelligence in Hamilton. There's this thread of fear and envy and and worry to Burr you know he's he's afraid to to make a choice he's afraid to do it but he really wants to be in the room where it happens he's he's seething with envy by that point and and yet it's the the groundedness the the uh, focus of Eliza by the end that's what carries through at the end and we we kind of want to be that too there you know I mean I can I can look back at my own life and see moments where I was any one of the three of them and hopefully, hopefully I'm more like Eliza than the others, but you know, I'm human. Uh, but I, but I love the balance between those characters because, because it, it's, that's exactly right. It's not a traditional hero villain kind of story. Um, and it's, that's more interesting that way. We should talk about some of the other, other, I mean, <laughs> I don't, lesser characters. Oh my God. There's so many characters <laughs> that, that, are, that are, that are major <laughs> part, that are major parts of history even, but in Hamilton, the musical, they are smaller parts. Um, Suck it, Washington. Well, so I was going to start with George Washington, but interesting if you, if you want to mention some of the other characters too, I was going to say Washington, Washington, you know, he gets a lot of press. If you're an American, you grow up, you know, about the father of our country and, <laughs> and, and all of these things. And he was the general in the revolutionary war, but he chopped down a cherry tree that he didn't actually do which he didn't do the bits of washington we get here are um are are really great 
and and boil down, I think, some interesting historical facts about Washington and how he relates to Hamilton, both as a general and as the as the president that I really appreciate it. I, I, I really enjoy um, I really enjoy Washington, of course, when um, when he visits with Hamilton and we have the whole right hand man thing. It is sort of spectacular. We get, you know, quoting actual lines of, of Washington. These uh, the men with uh, which I have to defend America. That's exactly <laughs> it. it. You get that sense of dis- desperation, which comes back and stay alive as well. That again, history, we think of history as a fait accompli when you get taught it in school and then seeing it here, you realize how, how it could have gone any number of bad ways and that these people were kind of remarkable to have done what they did. And, and, uh, the portrayal of Washington in Hamilton, actually, I really, I really love it. And yeah, Christopher Jackson does a great job. It, it is a, it is a, uh, a really cool kind of performance to get the sense of this guy being so formidable and so respected by um, the other characters because he's, I mean, who else could it be? Who else could be the president? Who else could give legitimate legitimacy to this federal government? There's only one person it could have possibly been, and that was Washington. We we look back at this in retrospect now. And, and all these years, we've known this. We've known this is how it all filters out. But what if Luke had missed the shot in the Death Star Trench? <laughs> right? Yeah. It's the same kind of thing. It's just taken as given now. But in the moment, maybe it doesn't work. Maybe it fails. Uh, if we got a Star Wars reference in, so we're, yeah. we're, we're doing, a, <laughs> we've, we're doing we're, okay. We've checked our From the quarter. Trekkie. Anybody you want to talk about, uh, you know, we got, we got uh, obviously, Jefferson. We've got uh, Lawrence and Lafayette and Hercules Mulligan. Huh. Madison and name. Samuel Seabury and King George. Yeah. King George. When, when he says that he, he got through like the first two chapters and suddenly wanted to write the book on the first or the, the show on the first page of chapter three in the book is the name Hercules Mulligan. And <laughs> I have to think he had to have read that far just to go. I want to rhyme that name. I, I, there's a <laughs> rhythm to that name. My name yeah. is Hercules, Hercules Mulligan. Mulligan. I mean, come on. It sounds like a rapper name. Yeah. I, I will say I will say that David Diggs in the two great roles of Lafayette and Jefferson is incredible. Yeah. If that man does not get the supporting uh, Tony, I will cry. <laughs> <laughs> I hope he finds something else to do on Broadway because I don't want him to go back to just being a rapper. Yeah. I don't know what else they can do with him. I he'd be a great uh, Harold Hill and Music Man, but he that's would. kind of obvious. <laughs> I want him to stick around. Yeah. He's, um, I mean, again, reading interviews with him is very funny because, of course, he's relatively new to the whole Broadway thing. And it was Lin-Manuel Miranda being like, oh, my God, I know the perfect person for this (laughs) and just going for it. And it it was true. It's true. It's absolutely true. Uh, The dual casting is something to talk about, too. The fact that, you know, um, David Diggs and... um, I can't pronounce his name properly, so I'm not going to. Oak, um, who plays Hercules Mulligan and James Madison and and Anthony Ramos, who plays Philip Hamilton and John Lawrence. Um, I don't know why it's swapped there because really it's – yeah. But uh, it's – it is crazy to me the fact that they have such wildly different parts. You know, you think about what David has to play in the 
first half of the show versus the second half of the show. The styles of like Lafayette and Jefferson are two very different people. They may have both spent a decent amount of time in France, um, but they uh, <laughs> but they, they are have, not at all alike. No, yeah. no, and it's such such a cool challenge for the actors to play. And they have different singing styles. David has to rap in French, essentially, or like French <laughs> rap in a French accent with a little bit of French tossed in. Um, Anthony Ramos has to die. Um, oh, spoilers! Die twice. Um, I, I mean, it's history. We all know John <laughs> it Lawrence happened doesn't a while really, ago. Yeah, John Lawrence doesn't really make it through the revolution. Spoilers what? for the American Revolution. What? Yeah. Gasp. Yeah. Um, and and um, Okarede. I hope I'm saying that right. Um, who plays Hercules Mulligan and James Madison? I mean, Hercules Mulligan is like the again. This is the best rap name of all time. <laughs> Hercules <laughs> Mulligan. And then he goes to play Madison. It's like Mulligan raps pretty much the entire first app and is just acting is just kind of like, yeah, I'm the, you know, I'm I'm the the big strong arm dude. Yep. And Madison is almost silky and almost afraid in some ways. Like he's Thomas Jefferson's number two. And he and he and Alexander Hamilton used to be buds, but you don't see it. It all happens off screen. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and, you know, one thing that's been really interesting to watch, and this is, you know, going back to people telling me about this for years, they've been workshopping this. I mean, he took six years to write it. Uh, they've been workshopping it since 2013. Um, David Diggs and Christopher Jackson, who is George Washington, are the only other two cast members who have been there right from the start. So they've had, you know, close to three years to get used to this by now. And uh, it really shows. That speaks to something that sort of fascinates me about Broadway in general, where the Lafayette and Jefferson part is so tailored to David Diggs mm -hmm. that because David can go so fast, Lin-Manuel Miranda was constantly adding things <laughs> like I can put more syllables in there. I'm going to give him another line and another line. But that becomes part of the official role. So now because this play is already moving to not moving Chicago they're opening a Chicago run already it's going to go on tour it's going to be done by kids everywhere yes and for all of those people they're all going to have to be as not as good as David Diggs but they're going to have to try to be as fast as <laughs> David Diggs yeah. well but you know it, it's one thing to do it for the very first time and get used to it but you know when Robert Preston was the music man right who maybe Danny Kay could have done that. But then <laughs> I've grown up for, you know, 40 something years doing You Got Trouble. I can do it, right? I've listened yeah. to it enough. Mm -hmm. And so people are going to be listening to this and practicing it and doing it. And it'll just be that's how you do it. You have to do it that fast. You get it. That's true. It's like uh, Lynn Manuel said one of the reasons he's letting kids see it cheaper, the, the 10,000 school children around new york are going to get ten dollar tickets and for them this is the starting point for what theater is they're going to sit down right. and mm -hmm. assume oh that's what the musical looks like and then we get to see where they take yep. the form i'm so excited to see this come to schools it is such an um, like uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda describes all of the stuff that he writes as like, really, I'm just writing musicals for my high school. Um, yeah. <laughs> and it's when you think about like In the Heights and what he did for In the Heights, but especially Hamilton, there were so many parts, so many juicy, wonderful parts. And it's not just two people singing 
two thirds of the songs. Right. It's there. There's just these. There's these intricate narratives. I mean, you think about. You know, the women get a bunch of great songs, and it's again not just leading lady material. It's mm. it's meaty, interesting stuff. There's great choral parts, pretty much continually. There's so much great choral part. So many great choral parts. So many great individual parts. The fact that you know you don't have to double cast Jefferson and Lafayette. You can split them up if you really want to, and you need to make more parts for a kid. <laughs> like for the, poor, yeah, that poor the poor kids in the in the musical uh, theater. Yeah, this is. I mean, I, I also I wanted to say, in addition to the le- talking about the legacy of this and how it impacts uh, the people and theater, um, Lin Manuel Miranda, when he was talking to Charlie Rose for sixty minutes, said that you know his experience with so many of these shows was the albums because he didn't you know he didn't go see musicals. He remembers the first musical he saw, but most of the time it was his parents' and uh cast albums and 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 he said because they actually shot 60 minutes shot there's a there's a thing on the uh 60 minutes website that you can see they shot them recording the cast album and in there Miranda says we realize this is going to be this is our stamp this is our thing that most people are going to hear because there are only so many people who come hear it on Broadway this is this is it you know we and i want this to be good because you know for him that's one way you experience this stuff is not is not live and in person and and uh you know the fact that we're so enthusiastic about it and talking about it here is telling because again we are those people experiencing it through the cast album and not being there in person i mean and and being there in person it's just different it's a sli- it's a it's a, a slice of time it's every performance is unique that's one of the beautiful things about theater but the fact like i've never seen book of mormon I never got a chance, but I've listened to that. Hello. Uh, I've listened to that soundtrack, and it's really great. And I have seen, you know, I did see the producers with Matthew Broderick and Nathan Lane, and that was great. And I've got that, and that's got some memories attached to it. But regardless, they're they're different, and um, I, I just I, I love his awareness of the fact that the cast album is super important because it is that that stamp. Like this is this is who we all were as the original cast, and this is how so many people will experience this story either before they see it or maybe they never see. It, but they experience it anyway, and because the book is so scant, it essentially the the cast album is the content of the musical. With uh, you know the audio content of the musical, that's the other part. It's not like you're missing long. St- uh, you know, spoken scenes. the The story is told in music, and so it's not like some other cast musicals where, or cast albums, where you say, "Oh, I guess a story happens in between those two songs," because <laughs> right, that yeah. does not happen in in Hamilton. It's yeah. it, five thirty eight did a great story. Actually, somebody in the chat room linked to it. I read. I remember reading this a few weeks ago. Um, it, it, it is the how there are more words in Hamilton than any. Um, than any musical basically ever. <laughs> Even close, yeah. Yeah, it's, I'm sure it's beyond. Yeah, it was it was great to watch the 60 Minutes piece because when when he's he's standing there with the shelf of cast albums and he's geeking out over Camelot and I'm I'm just kind of looking going that was my childhood. That <laughs> right there was the shelf of albums and you I, know, I love the way that he introduces Camelot where he's yes, like he's talking yes. to Charlie Rose. He's like just listen to Guinevere. It has the dopest <laughs> beat you'll ever hear. I'm telling you, and, that dude is a nerd. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Love him. And and I mean, you know, that but that was the thing, was the cast albums were just the songs. Sometimes you got snippets of dialogue. Sometimes you didn't even get all the songs because, you know, they couldn't fit it and they didn't want to do a double album or anything. Uh, the only thing I have that's comparable, I, I lucked into finding, I don't even know why they did this, 
a, an album of the entire text of Tom Stoppard's The Real Thing with the Broadway <laughs> cast. So it's Jeremy Irons and Glenn Close and Cynthia Nixon. And, and it's bizarre. And it's sitting here on my shelf uh, with all these musicals. Um, and I've listened to it once. And Hamilton, I've listened to over and over and over and over and over. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's it's it's so hard to get people into theater now because it's, you know, you've got Netflix and Hulu and, you know, all the entertainment options on your couch. And then you have the cast album. But this is when, I mean, my my son doesn't necessarily want to go see theater all the time. And he's he's not a musical fan at all. He wants to go see Hamilton. He wants uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda to write all the rest of history so that he can understand it better. Right. He said, can, can you get him to do that? I said, I can't get him to do that. I can probably get him to say hi on a video, but I can't get him to do that, you know? Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's how, that's how we did it in Florida. You know, you, you'd, you'd watch the Tonys once a year and you listened to all the cast albums and living in Indiana, same thing. I can go to regional theaters. I can go to the Broadway shows on tour. It's still not quite the same. And if you don't want to see any of the ones on tour, Eh, tough. And that's why I've started this blog called BroadwayAway.com. <laughs> Thank you, Monty. Segway! <laughs> yes. Uh, anything more before we wrap it up? I feel like we've covered a lot of ground. There's so much more to cover. One could probably do a podcast in which every episode was covering just a single track of Hamilton for 46 episodes. Could one? That sounds I don't know. Crazy. I don't know if I could talk about it long enough, Jason. That's, I don't know. I think you could easily idea. do, uh, you know, half an hour on, like, my shot, for example. I think that could totally be <laughs> the yeah. case. Maybe. 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 We'll, we'll see. see. We'll see if somebody does a podcast like that. that those people would be kind of kind of nuts to even try something like that. But that, 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 you, that, you that's know, nuts. You know. I, I just want to point out, we're kind of nuts. Um, hmm. Interesting. Kind of. Kind of. Maybe it is us, David. <laughs> Why don't people go to theincomparable.com slash pod for ham and check it out? It might be a podcast entirely about Hamilton. Otherwise, it's time to wrap up our special episode about musical theater. Uh, it might happen again sometime. You never know. But uh, these these uh, uh, it, there was just too much momentum. Too many people wanted to talk about Hamilton. It's too exciting. So we had to do it. So uh, thank you to my guests for enjoying the, this change of pace with me. David Lore, thank you. Thank you. Chip Sutter, thanks for being here. I'm only sorry that my son is 14 years old and it's too late for me to change his name to Hercules Mulligan. <laughs> mm, maybe a cat. Maybe you can name a future cat Hercules Mulligan. Future cat. Uh, Monty Ashley, thank you. Thank you. Broadwayaway.com. Thank you. And <laughs> if I stop listening to Hamilton. <laughs> yeah, sure. And Serenity Caldwell, thank you. Thank you. All right, theater nerds back in the box, sci fi nerds, you can come back out. Uh, I'm Jason Snell for The Incomparable. We'll see you next time. It has come to my attention that a lot of people are not aware of some of the other podcasts on the Incomparable Network, especially the TV podcast. If you like shows like Arrow, The Flash, Legends of Tomorrow, The Expanse, we are doing podcasts about a bunch of different TV shows on the TV podcast. So if you want to hear us talk about The Expanse, for example, you can get to it by going to theincomparable.com slash TV, T-E-E-V-E-E, -E -E -E, or just go to theincomparable.com and click on the subscribe link and you'll get a list of all the great shows on The Incomparable.